Winter miles, summer smiles. Is this a myth and does it apply to everyone or just the pros? I like the saying, you could flip it on its head and say, winter beers, summer tears. <laughs> I think you could do that <laughs> as well. Uh, somebody was like commenting under my stuff, like, oh, why do you keep asking all these stupid questions? <laughs> that was me. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't take the mic. No way. No way. That's awful. If I could choose who broke her collarbone, I'd definitely take the mic. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's another level of depravity altogether. Welcome to the Roadman Cycling Podcast. My name is Anthony Walsh. Six days a week, we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you on your journey towards health, happiness, and longevity. Now let's get into the show. It's episode 656 of the Roadman Cycling Podcast. It's Friday and it's newbie questions. We are brought to you today by Athletic Greens AG1. This magical green powder of 75 pristinely sourced vitamins and minerals supports your gut health, immune function, and it helps with energy, recovery, focus, and even anti-aging. These are a few of the many reasons that AG1 has become a staple part of my routine. First thing, every morning into a cold glass of water. AG1 saves me time and money by taking all the guesswork out of what vitamin stack I should be using to help optimize my health. So you can reclaim your health with convenient daily nutrition. It's easy. One scoop in a cup of water every day. To make it easy, Athletic Greens is going to give you a free year's supply of immune-supporting vitamin D plus five free travel packs with your first purchase. All you have to do is visit athleticgreens.com forward slash roadman. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash roadman to take ownership of your health and pick up the ultimate daily nutritional insurance. The link and all the details for this offer are in today's show notes. Sarah, welcome back for another Friday and another Newbie Questions. Thank you. It's good to be here. What started out as a trial for you coming on Fridays has <laughs> now turned into an institution. Absolutely. Absolutely. Aren't we calling it serotonin now? That's no, the thing. We're, now. we're definitely not calling it serotonin. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I know I keep going on about it, but um, regular listeners, you'll have heard me talking about Twitter and the fact that I'm, you know, on the tweet machine constantly now and it's absolutely gas. And yeah, somebody wrote in to say that they look forward to their hit of serotonin every Friday. So I love that. You've gone from zero to 1500 followers very, very fast <laughs> on Twitter. I know. In two weeks? About two weeks, yeah. It's not too bad. I've had a little bit of hate, a little bit of hate. I had to do a little bit of blocking. So I didn't know I'm, that. I'm, what, what hate did yeah, you get? Uh, somebody was like commenting under my stuff, like going, why do you keep asking all these stupid questions? <laughs> that was me. Yeah, <laughs> There's really a few of those. I was like, well, I'm trying to open up a conversation. I was like, you're like the, you're like that guy who goes on a date and just talks about himself. <laughs> he didn't like that. So I think he blocked me as well. I think I got in there first, but it is a lot of fun. So anyone who isn't following me or Anthony on Twitter, you should go in there because it is, it's a bit of crack, isn't it? It was, it's great fun. It's a brilliant place to bring the podcast community together because they've been kind of, we haven't really had a home for debate for the podcast community. I was kind of looking at maybe doing a Discord server, but it's a little bit too nerdy and I don't think there's enough people on there. 
Yeah, because we've always been encouraging people to write in with emails or DMs and stuff. But yeah, Twitter is fun because everyone, you can DM us on Twitter as well if you're shy, but it kind of opens up the conversation. You get everybody joining in and sometimes piling on if they don't agree with your, you know, your point of view. But that's okay. That's okay. Well, I just opened a can of worms. I have a poll. I'm considering doing a podcast on trans in sport. So I put out a poll today asking if men who transitioned to become women have an unfair advantage in female sports. So I'm pretty sure that's opening a can of worms. But yeah, I want to gauge sentiment before I do the podcast. Yeah, you have to be really careful with that topic. There was a really interesting article this week about how uh, people of different genders moving into female sport isn't actually the problem. The problem is underfunding. We don't see enough female sports. It's not in the media enough. And that the transgender issue is actually the least of our worries as female athletes. So that was a very interesting take. Not sure if it's one that I totally uh, totally believe. Well, there's two separate subjects. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like quite conflated. What's the funding issue got to do with trans and sport issue? They're two totally separate subjects. Yeah, I agree. Do you know the other poll that you had on Twitter, which is absolutely gas? I think it was last week. So Anthony, maybe you you can talk about it, but it was something along the lines of, if you could get your dream bike worth £15,000 or euro, but you understood that somewhere, someone in the world would fall off their bike and break their collarbone, would you take the bike? <laughs> yeah, an alarming number of people don't care about other people's collarbones. I got to say 28% of people don't care who breaks their collarbone as long as they get a bike. I have to say, I was absolutely appalled and questioning everything that I thought I knew about human nature and human kindness. I was disgusted. I'd probably take the bike. I wouldn't take the bike. No way. No way. That's awful. Anyway. <laughs> if I could choose who broke her collarbone, I'd definitely take the bike. <laughs> oh, no, no, that's another level of depravity altogether. You had a busy week on the podcast, Anthony. It might have been one of the strongest weeks ever on the podcast in terms of the quality of the interviews. So I had an amazing chat with the Factor founder, Rob Chitellis, on Tuesday, where he was just so open. It was an interview I really wasn't expecting. And one of the kind of questions that he posed, it's a question for anyone who's been successful at a time of crisis and you look around, you wonder how many people are actually your friends or how many people are friends of what you've built how many are kind of the hanger-on entourage. And he was going through a personal crisis and he was musing that he was wondering how many were genuine friends versus friends of the bike. And it was such an open, honest interview. And then the interview I had with Alex Howes, which released yesterday, it's a style that I love and I really want to gravitate towards. It's something I've worked so hard on to get to that point. And Alex Howes is the perfect person to have that style of interview with. It's not a Q&A discussion at all. It's literally like me and Alex went for a coffee and someone happened to record the conversation. There's long periods of talking about absolute nothingness in there. Like what he done for his Christmas dinner, how he made his gravy, you know, what what was he going through uh, with the, the siblings in town? And it was just a chat is all I can describe it as, but I absolutely loved it. Yeah, and look, I love Alex as well. I've watched the the video clip of that probably about 10 times. So big fan. That's alarming. That's alarming. <laughs> big fan. Is this why you keep buying me those like Alex Howes framed sunglasses <laughs> and trying to dress me like Alex Howes? <laughs> I know, I'm calling you Alex next. That's okay. That's just a little slip of the tongue. Winter miles. 
Summer smiles. Is this a myth and does it apply to everyone or just the pros? I like the saying, you could flip it on its head and say, winter beers, summer tears. <laughs> I think you could do that as well. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, it's pretty common sense, isn't it? The more you ride your bike in the winter, the better you're going to be in the summer. Joe Friel, the pioneer of coaching, had him on the podcast a while ago. He has this idea and he paints it as the analogy of a pyramid. And the wider you build the base of your pyramid, the more potential there is to build a high peak. Like you're building any structure. If you build a super wide base, you can build the structure very high. It's the same with mileage in the winter. If you ride your bike a lot over the winter, you can achieve quite a high peak in the summer. Now, we've moved away from the idea of all low intensity training in the winter period where we now intersperse periods of high intensity. In But yeah, as a general mantra, the more you ride in the winter, the better. So explain it for the absolute newbies in a couple of sentences, what winter miles are in insofar as like, you know, what zones are the intensity of it and, you know, amount of hours you should be doing per week or, you know, in comparison to some intervals during the winter in comparison to the summer. Well, there's no real set amount of hours because that totally depends on someone's schedule, the level they're at. But if you think about the idea of trying to accumulate as many endurance miles as you can, training specificity is the idea that we move from training that's not very similar to our event. And as we get closer to the event, the demands of training begin to mirror the demands of the event closer and closer. So what this means is if your target is a criterium in July, as in the weeks approaching the criterium date in July, your training starts to look more and more like a criterium. So that's a lot of sprints out of corners, very high intensity training. But when we're far away from that event, like now in January, it means you can ride super easy in endurance zones and start moving and migrating towards that speciality training closer to the event. Okay, so now's the time to be building your foundation. Anthony, I have a 56-year-old friend considering an e-bike. Friend is in inverted commas here, so I'm a little bit sus. Does this make me, sorry him, a sellout? You should put the names on. You done that last week. That was cooler. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I forgot to put the names on. <laughs> yeah, because I remember I seen that question on your Twitter and I remember thinking, oh, this is a cool question. I want to give him a shout out, but I don't equally don't have the name in front of me. Uh, no, it doesn't make a sellout at all. I think anyone that gets outside and rides a bike, that's a win. And it doesn't matter if it's an e-bike. I think e-bike's a brilliant idea because it allows people of different levels to go training together. It's like a handicap in golf. Like one of my good friends has gone into golf in the last year. And the handicap system allows him to play with people that are better than him, that are worse than him, and to have a really similar game. E-bike is the exact same. Like if your fitness only allows you to go 20 miles, that's like the absolute maximum capability of your fitness. But now you have an e-bike. Like if you lived in Dublin, 20 miles doesn't really take you very far. But now if you have an e-bike for that same amount of fitness, maybe you can get out into the mountains and explore some of the amazing country roads and get hooked, which is going to bring your fitness on again. And it's just a positive self-fulfilling circle. And as well, like there's a myth as well that you, you're not working at all on an e-bike. It's You, you do still have to <laughs> turn the pedals. It, it can still be quite tough. You know, it's not like a, a motorbike or a scooter. No, yeah. Like if you ride, like if you go out at a ride at 150 watts for two hours, you're still going to go out on your e-bike and ride at 150 watts for two hours. You're just going to go further and faster. I think they're an absolutely brilliant idea. I think your friend should get one. <laughs> Definitely. Okay. Will. 
Question number three. Thoughts on fueling mid-ride, Anthony, say on a four-hour spin. Are scones really that bad for you at the coffee shop? Are over-the-counter protein bars as nutritious as they're saying, or are they just glorified chocolate bars, like Fulfill bars, Real Nutrition bars, etc.? So I would say you need to be get into the habit of, not just at the coffee stop, but just in general, get into the habit of reading the labels on the back of nutrition products. We want to take roughly a gram of carbohydrates per kilogram of body weight each hour when we're on the bike. So if you're an 80 kilogram rider, you want to have 80 grams of carbohydrates per hour, roughly. You could take maybe up to 150, but as a minimum requirement, I would say one gram per kilogram of body weight. So then it starts getting really easy to disperse that when you understand how much is in each bar. Now, a lot of people make the mistake of eating very little in the first half of a ride, getting to the coffee shop, eating way too much, and then not eating enough on the second half of the ride. And I had a chance to play around with Super Sapiens, which is a continuous glucose monitor. And I had a chance to observe your blood sugar levels if you fuel properly, like I mentioned, the way to do it, versus if you fuel improperly fasting, hitting the coffee shop, big feed in the coffee shop, and then fasting all the way home. That has a totally different effect on your blood sugar. And the effect of fueling incorrectly means you're going to get a slightly different physiological adaptation to the session. So it's really just a question of if you're investing four hours training time in, you're not getting a maximum return on that four-hour investment. You could get a better return on that four-hour investment by fueling slightly differently. So scones, you know, you can throw them into MyFitnessPal and have a look at the macros, but they're very high in fat, which is going to block the absorption of carbohydrates. So probably not the ideal step. The protein bars, you know, I use protein in inverted commas because protein, it's kind of like we were joking last week in the cycling world, if you throw gravel onto anything, it sells for more. Protein, you throw that word onto anything in the nutrition world and it seems to sell for more. Most protein bars aren't really suitable for mid-ride because what we're looking for is carbohydrates. But most of those protein bars are a cod and they're actually not protein bars. They're full chocolate bars or carbohydrate bars. So again, just get used to looking at the label on the back and knowing what you're putting into your body. You want to have predominantly carbohydrates going into your body during a spin. And to simplify it, it's sugar for carbohydrates. It's, you know, the quicker you can get sugar in, the better while you're on the bike. Exactly. Yeah, you don't want the sugar really bonded to stuff like... You know, you could have a piece of fruit, but the sugar is then bonded to a fiber, which takes time for you to break down and a slower release. Yeah, so we had we have a guy on our spin and he brings those, um, you know, the little, I think it's like a pan of chocolate or, you know, something kind of from the bakery on a spin and they're kind of bready. But yeah, they're full of fat as well. So he's actually not getting the sugar hit into his system as quickly because the fat content in his snacks. So that's not really what you want. My go-to, Turkish Delight or jellies. Jellies are just 100% sugar, basically. Yeah, I'm not sure on the Turkish Delight. I've never, I don't eat them and I've never looked at the back of them. I don't know what the breakdown is. 35 grams carbs. So. Uh, can you, do you know how much fat? Oh, I actually don't. No, so, I actually so, don't know. You know. The fat yeah. might be high in it, so it's hindering yeah. absorption of carbs. But the podcast I have with the dietitian Orla Walsh from a couple of months ago is brilliant. She breaks down, I'm not a nutritionist, Orla breaks this down brilliantly. And many of the lessons I'm trying to pass on here are actually her lessons in disguise. I, I will uh, link the Spotify and the Apple uh, links to Orla's podcast in the show notes because that is brilliant. Thank you, very organized, Sarah. That is an amazing podcast. That was so popular as well. There's so many knowledge bombs in that. 
Okay, question number four, Anthony, you're going to have to explain this to me from as a complete layperson, please. So here we go. Polaroid versus Sweet Spot. The debate is still ongoing. So I'm assuming this this uh, listener just wants to know what what your thoughts are on on them. But I would like you to go a little bit deeper and explain what the difference is between polarized and sweet spot. I don't get their question. Like I don't think the debate is ongoing because they're two totally different things. One is polarized is like a training philosophy. Sweet spot's a specific session. So I, I don't think there's ever been a debate on that if I'm totally honest. Polarized training is the predominant school of thought of how we train at the moment. It's the idea that the bulk of our training, like we talked about winter miles, summer smiles, the bulk of our training should be very easy. 80% of our training is a good rule. This kind of Pareto split of 80-20. 80% of our training should be very easy. 20% of our training should be super, super hard. And we should have very little in the middle. That's polarized training. Most cycling coaches, academics subscribe to this model of training now. It's the model of training we use across the whole roadman coaching, plethora of coaches and athletes, polarized where it's at. Sweet spot is a type of training session. So sweet spot is the idea of training at 88 to 91% of your threshold power to raise your threshold. So there's two ways to raise your threshold. You can train below it to push your threshold up. That's sweet spot. Or you can train above your threshold to pull your threshold up. Two different ways to bulk lean a gain in your threshold. But there's not really a debate between, maybe it's phrased slightly wrong and he's talking about, is it polarized versus more training in the middle? And you know, I would say polarized is the way to go. Sweet spot definitely has a place depending on the type of event you're training for. And don't let that term sweet spot fool you, people. <laughs> when I first training with a, started training with a coach, I was like, I looked at my fan and I was like, sweet spot, this sounds amazing. It's awful. It's, it's like happy hell. Hour. It's not that happy. <laughs> it's hell. One more question, Anthony. We're kind of back to nutrition on the bike again. And this person writes in, dried dates for refueling. Question mark. I use them quite a lot. They're cheap and easy, but are they a good source of carbohydrates? You want to make sure you take them pits out of the center. You could choke during <laughs> interval. I think, did you look this up? There's five grams of carbohydrates in a date? Yeah, there's five grams of carbs in a date. And there's a, around 25 carbs in a banana. So you're going to have to be getting those dates in, you know, pretty constantly. You're going to have to bring like 10 kilos of dates with you. <laughs> It's kind of like eating jellies, though. You know what I mean? But oh, I don't know if I could eat. I mean, could you eat 20 dates in an hour, Anthony? Well, you need a lot more than 20 dates in an hour. Oh, yeah. Well, that's all right. Yeah, 20, 30. You'd have to eat 30, <laughs> depending on your weight. Now, I would, I'd be a little bit concerned there about how far away you are from the toilet. <laughs> or <laughs> it's a date every second minute. Are dates not like notorious for, you know, kind of keeping you regular? <laughs> I, I think that's prunes. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> I stand corrected. So personally, I wouldn't use dates. I mean, I think that dates are very, very popular and you can make yourself bars, homemade energy bars with dates and stuff in them that they're kind of a little bit more compacted and they are a very, very high source of sugar. But I think you can get bigger ones. Medjool dates are slightly bigger. Oh, I've got to say dates. they have more yeah. carbohydrates. Yeah. So if they had 10 yeah. grams of carbohydrates, I'm just guessing, if they did have 10 grams of carbohydrates, it's not that bad if you mix it up with some other fuel sources, like some drink in your bottle and you kind of move away from that one date every two minutes because that just doesn't <laughs> seem too sustainable. 
So are you giving dates the thumbs up or the thumbs down, Anthony? You're BG. You're just you're going straight for the Magiel dates, the expansive ones, and they're yeah, fun. They're like nature's gel. I'll go yes. The Magiel dates are like two euro a pop, so. <laughs> Right, let's jump into tech. Anthony, you're always looking for aero gains, right? And here we are big fans of the brand POC. We both wear POC helmets. And I know you did have POC sunglasses before, which are pretty cool. I think you might have lost them in the sea when we were on holiday last year. But yeah, they're gone. <laughs> they're gone. Um, but POC have released their most aerodynamic sunglasses yet. Now, the emphasis is on the word there because they haven't tested these against any of the other brands. They have to brought these into an aero tunnel, but instead they've done these kind of computer generated tests on the, you know, how aerodynamic they are. And they claim that you could get single watt aerodynamic gains by using these glasses. So I have a picture of them up here, Anthony. They're, they're proper big. They make you look like a fly, don't they? I think they're quite cool. Yeah. Do you like, like them? them? Yeah, I like them. I like the bigger glasses. You like the bigger ones? Yeah, they are pretty cool. Now, would you pay 250 euro for a single, maybe a five watt gain on your aerodynamics? I think glasses are around 200 anyway. So yeah, mm-hmm. it's probably in and around the ballpark of what you'd pay for a good set of glasses. I think they're pretty cool as well. I think we're going to see a lot of these in the next couple of months. As the summer rolls around in Ireland, the sunglasses game gets pretty epic. So I'm looking forward to seeing these. And um, Also, if Puck want to send us a set, we'll happily uh, test them out. Absolutely, for aerodynamic. <laughs> I'll let you do the aerodynamic testing. I'm far away away from those marginal gains. Okay, I think that's us wrapped up for the this week's Snoopy Questions. When are we expecting your famous new interview solo cast to kick off? It's all happening in the background. You're just going to, everyone has stuck at me for a few more Saturdays, uh, just with my inner monologue and meanderings. But <laughs> the uh, the interviews are en route. Excited, folks. Mm-hmm. I'll be back on Monday. Sarah will be back tomorrow. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Have you ever wondered how good you could actually be? Each of us has a unique set of circumstances with work, family and social obligations, but we also want to fulfill our potential in cycling. Okay, okay, maybe you won't ever win the Tour de France, but for most of us, this is what cycling is about. So let us build you the perfect training plan around your lifestyle that's totally unique to you and will help you finally realize your cycling dreams. So whether you're just getting started on the bike or if you're a more seasoned cyclist, we have a suitable coach for you. So why not schedule a call with us and we can have a chat about how we can help you go further than you ever dreamed of in your cycling and fitness goals. Go to roadmancycling.com forward slash contact or pop me an email directly to sarah at roadmancycling.com. 